I think it's a good idea to explore. I think that in general, you need to be concerned about making sure the blockchain scales as much as possible. And I don't mean scales in that it can onboard more users. I mean scales in that it can be verified and, and managed by more users. You know, scales more laterally than anything. Well, welcome again, Crypto Basic Podcast. We are here with a returning special guest, special champion. We have Anthony Lusardi, formerly of the Ethereum Classic Cooperative. I actually don't know what your current position is, if you even have one. <laughs> so, I have a current position. Okay, so no current position. Current position is now independent contributor for the crypto basic podcast you were <laughs> just promoted so welcome back to the show hey brent thanks for having me uh so we are gonna kind of talk about different attack vectors on the coins projects or networks or whatever you want to call them and try to be as basic about them as we can because i realized we never really did a good job talking about like what a 51% attack is, what a Sybil attack is or anything like that. So you had mentioned a discord. I'll come on and talk about that stuff. So, so here you are. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. So before we get into the meat potatoes and all that, I want to give you an opportunity to, to say right here. And now I've been seeing a lot of your Twitter posts and, and I've been voting on them. I'm very disappointed. So for instance, you put up a post that said, which of the following is the best Bitcoin? And there were three different Bitcoins. And then there was Bitcoin SV, which obviously I clicked that one. And it said, if you click that one, you have to block me. So yeah, at the time of this recording, there's been a lot of Twitter back and forths about, uh, or, you know, everybody's delisting SV. Everybody's finally yelling at Satoshi. Finally, people are kind of jumping on that bandwagon. And uh, maybe we'll come up with a new term for attack on a network. We'll call it like the Craig Wright attack where you pretend to be the person who came up with the network and then make your own network. Such a weird attack. (laughs) Craig Wright just has something in his head and he truly believes he's Satoshi, even though he's not at this point. I wonder, like, it's tough because being inside the head of somebody who's like a pathological liar or somebody, or there might be another term for that, but where they wholeheartedly believe something. They're like, this is the truth. I believe this. And you kind of have to commit yourself to the lie, right? If you're going to tell a lie that big, you just go with it. Yeah, there's just something where there is a thing of a BA in psychology. So I'm by no means an expert. I'm not diagnosing anybody. But there is a thing in general where, yeah, you can be so so into your lie or so disconnected from what reality is that you literally believe it. Like what, imagine you woke up in the morning and like, what did I do? I, I fed my cat and I went into the city. Like what if you just all of a sudden came to me and told me I didn't do that? I would think you're absolutely nuts. Of course I did that. And that's exactly what I did. And it's the same way when people are, you know, pathologically lying is that, they actually do believe in 100% it is true, fact, real in their world. And it's very, it's very strange, but, you know, everybody like kind of has those little lies to some degree. And then in some people, I don't know what happens, but something just makes it completely outsized to the point where they believe the most outlandish things. 
I wonder if it's like a, a learned or like a developed behavior, like a muscle. Like you start with the little white lies that you believe wholeheartedly. Like you come into school and you're like, yeah, my dog ate my homework. And they're like, you don't mm-hmm. even have a dog. You have a cat. Well, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. He ate it. I, I, <laughs> and then it goes from there and you just, I mean, the human memory is terrible at remembering things. Yeah. You can, you can implant memories in people. Like you can say, Hey, remember that time that like George Bush did this. And if they happen to be leaning left, they're going to believe you, even if it was a complete lie and they're going to remember it in their brain. We even just talked about on the the show the Mandela effect where people misremember things from their childhood. Have you have you ever seen that one? Like uh, going across Reddit? Yeah, I've seen that the Berenstain or Berenstain Bears. Thing. Yep. <laughs> stuff. Yeah, it's simple memory. Memory sucks. So maybe maybe one of two things is true. Maybe Satoshi was Craig Wright, but just not in this universe. And somehow he's been transported over, and he's like, I don't understand. What do you mean? Well, oh no, my private keys aren't working. <laughs> all right anyway enough um, enough about this guy yeah oh and going back to etc co-op yeah i'm currently just freelancing basically so freelancing a little bit on other projects not related to cryptocurrency and then i'm working on some of my own cryptocurrency projects so not completely crazily unemployed i'm just uh doing my own thing for a little bit so you you okay. said you are working on your own cryptocurrency projects. so when are we going to have the anthony lusardi ico for uh, Lusardi coin. I'm never launching a coin. <laughs> if I ever launch any sort of network that has some sort of coin, I've uh, I've sold out. <laughs> That's the end if of I it. Ever, if I ever back like one to that degree, I've, I've sold out. Yeah. Man. Well, never say never because you, you, you never know when. No, you probably, I don't know. Well, it just doesn't need a base currency is the thing. That yeah. I, think. I think that you can do a lot of things without without the base currency and it's just easier and more financially attractive to use a base currency. And if I knew now, if I knew back then what I, all the things I know now, I probably would have done some things differently, but yeah, you just don't need it really. Ideally you can take it out. Okay. So can you give me an example of that? So you're saying get rid of the base currency. Would you, so you're saying, Keep the smart contracts. Get rid of Ethereum. Well, I wouldn't say get rid of any cryptocurrencies. Anything that that's current, but I think that at this point, though, there's there's other ways to do it. I mean, your main concern with starting a new network is bootstrapping its security, and that's why you would issue a base coin because the base coin uh, suddenly has some sort of value that people traded at, or hopefully has some sort of value. I'm of the opinion that you can probably bootstrap it other ways. You probably don't need block rewards for each and every network. You can just have people pay sort of indirectly. Like if you need somebody to mine a block or you're mining a block and you're going to get a reward, maybe just get paid in Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency. But for the overwhelming majority of cases, I just don't see the point of having a separate base currency at this point. That's just Uh, my personal opinion. Okay, so there's enough stable networks out there now that they've more or less taken care of that, and you can just pick with pick one of them. Yeah, with and, mess with it. and I'm hoping long term we see more and more condensing of them too, because there's still so so many, and I just don't think uh, it's really necessary. Well, it's somewhat necessary for bootstrapping security, but I think that's kind of a shortcut. I think there's probably other ways to do it. I agree with you that it feels like there's too many. Because 
in the beginning when, you know, I'm a wide-eyed child about all the different altcoins and ICOs and everything like that, I couldn't get enough of them. I wanted to learn more and more about every single one of them. Now, when we get these different projects that reach out to us and they're like, hey, can we come on your show? I'm just like, you're, I don't really care what coin number 442 on the market cap is doing. I just don't. It's kind of unfortunate, but maybe we'll see them dying sooner or later. I just saw on one of the subreddits that something called TAAS just announced that they were bankrupt or whatever. They were a, a top 400 coin that... <laughs> You know, they're gone and we're going to see that time and time again over the course of this year because anybody who didn't sell the Ethereum they raised or the Bitcoin they raised or something like that, they're going to have a hard time running a company if they ICO'd beginning of last year. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's all, all that's uh, an interesting way to look at the future. And I'm glad we share that, that little bit of an opinion. You were kind of like the public face of the Ethereum Classic cooperative there for a, for a period of time. Yeah. And when when you left, you were like, no, th- like this is ridiculous. Dealing with all of you that are going nuts and attacking me every time some little thing happens. I, that had to be, was that all, the main reason for your decision or you just wanted to develop other projects? Yeah, I think that was the main reason that I had had enough. It's just social media is just terrible and, and toxic. And it's not that I'm a saint or anything in it either. I've definitely... Been, had my share of meanness on social media. It's just after a while, it can get overwhelming. And so I just couldn't separate that anymore. And I had this really thick skin for the past three years and I kind of lost it. And yeah, so that was the main impetus behind me leaving. Obviously, I still have other projects and things I wanted to work on anyway. But had social media not been like that or not even part of the equation, then I may have uh, changed my what I did, I may have, I probably would have stayed around longer. I agree with you that it's this weird thing that is permeated life and you, it, somebody with this thick skin could be worn down very, very easily. And I think I see that in a lot of different people. You see somebody like Charles snapping more often, uh, you, or you see even just the comments that we get, the, the hate that we get if we say something not positive about a coin. Not to mention the time when we call a coin a full, an all-out scam and people like go crazy and tell us we're going to sue us and all that, all whatever that is. So yeah, I I would consider myself uninsultable, but I wonder if I would still consider myself that after three years of like direct attacks on Twitter or Facebook or wherever I happen to be social mediating. Yeah, it takes something out of you, and yeah, yeah. I, a while ago, for during the Cambridge Analytica, I basically stopped using Facebook. I started doing like scheduled posts that I knew would Mm -hmm. get action back and forth so that if I posted about the podcast, I would end up in somebody's feed, but I got completely off there. So Twitter is the, is really all my interactions are. And honestly, it's only a few people that I even interact with on Twitter. Once I figure out somebody's a listener and I happen to have them come across my newsfeed on Twitter, that's about it. That's what, that's what I interact with. So yeah, basically and me, I have like, I have most all of my notifications turned off unless it's, you know, something uh, important like email. Like, I don't want to hear from anybody. I don't want anybody to be able to tag me on something and just ruin my day in the middle of it. <laughs> you the, the notification you look at, it, you just throw your phone across the room. You're just like, all right, nope, yep. I'm done. That's it. Don't need that. All right. So that's a good little recap about... <laughs> where we were, what we were doing, and all that stuff. We'll get into the the real content of the episode 
which is we want to talk about the different attack vectors. And I think we we came up with two attack vectors in the middle of this. We came up with the Craig Wright attack vector, which nope. is like say you created a coin even though you didn't. And we also came up with the social media attack vector. I think we need to add those to all the future lists where you can just try to troll the uh, troll the people of the coin until you know they're they're sick of it. So Charles is an example. He's been trolled enough to where he's now snapping back at people. So I don't know. We'll have to really broaden our definition. But in the meantime, we'll actually talk about real ways to attack mm-hmm. networks and and what and what they're going on. So I, I, these aren't in any particular order. I'm yeah, going to uh, I'm going to start with just because of the way I wrote them down here. I don't. I think I pulled them from an article or something. But the first thing that we're going to talk about is the Sybil attack. So mm-hmm. well, I, I think the best format here is I'm going to ask you to give us like the explain like I'm five definition of how each attack works. And then we'll kind of like talk about maybe the implications of it. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, sure. Happy to. Okay. So I guess in elementary school, you're probably about five or six years old. And say you're in first grade and you don't know any of the second graders. All you know is they're bigger than you and they're clearly cooler than you because they're bigger than you and all that fun stuff so you know somebody in your in your class uh, in first grade he goes and he tells you something he's like oh all the second graders get to leave at 3 p.m instead of 4 p.m like we do and you're like that doesn't sound right to me but okay you know so you kind of don't believe it but then this person that you know all of a sudden says oh this second grader said the same thing this second grader said the same thing and all these other people are all saying the same thing. And you've been led to believe that all these other people, you don't even know if they exist or not, now are all saying, yeah, all the second graders get to leave at 3 p.m. instead of 4. Um, and then you all of a sudden believe it because all these other people are telling you. And that's kind of what a civil attack is. It's that one entity pretends to be many entities and then just bombards you with information so that you believe that whatever they're saying is true. like you know, the popularity of Tron or XRP and that type of thing. A lot of that is civil attacks because there are people paying for bots. You even see it to a lesser degree, even on networks like Bitcoin and Ethereum, where people pay for bots to make it look like certain things are are more popular or more important uh, than they are. And, you know, certain cryptocurrencies are far more brazen with it. Certain groups are far more brazen with it. Others are a little more relaxed about it, but it's all there where people are constantly civil attacking you and it becomes very hard to know what's real and what's not. And they're not even bots in that they're just completely computer automated. It's just like one person using a computer to help him or her manage, you know, hundreds or thousands of accounts and even make comments that look like real people comments. And then it just becomes really difficult to figure out what's true and what's not it's just a general problem on the internet right now especially when accounts are free and cheap to make and that type of thing so yeah it's it's tough so that's so that not only has implications on just the the blockchain universe this is like like astroturfing that's one of the ways that things are happening yeah where you where it's a bunch of different people who are all controlled by the same entity but they're making a conversation look like it's flowing like it's a natural conversation and they're controlling the direction of the conversation. So I could see I could see how that would be an attack vector on something like Bitcoin or Ethereum. But I feel like it could be even more of an attack vector on something that is like a proof of stake coin. Well, not even I don't know about I don't know if proof of stake, but I'm sure there are coins where one person equals one vote. And if you can 
create multiple people, you might have more ability to vote on the way a network works just by making a bunch of bots. I don't I can't think of a network off the top of my head, but I don't think there's any that do it based on one person, one vote. I don't even know if that's a good strategy myself, but yeah, in general, they seem to just do stake based. Each coin is a vote because it's the only way to prevent a civil attack in that way. But then each coin being a vote is just terrible anyway. You're just making it so that the, those same exact people who would have had that amount of wealth to do the civil attacks now just don't have to do them. Um, so I don't think it's really any better. There's got to be something in between pure democracy, which is one person, one vote, and pure plutocracy, which is depending on how much money you have is how many votes you have. Yeah. There has to be something in the middle that is that still works as a democracy mm-hmm. that doesn't have the problems that either extreme end brings. And I don't know what that is, but I hope we do get to find out at some point because it's one of the things that excites me most about the governance of the different coins and that kind of thing. I still see uh, Bitcoin's governance as kind of the middle ground between it. You know, on the far totalitarian side, you kind of have one developer or a small team of developers says everything that happens with the network. Then you have Bitcoin's approach to governance where we're not going to hard fork. We're not going to make any changes that change consensus. And then you have towards the other end, the more every single coin gets a vote, there's very active governance and control of the network. So I actually really think that middle ground is very resistant to a lot of these attacks uh, and particularly things like civil attacks or at least it's not resistant to a civil attack. It just limits what a civil attack can do. Um, a civil attack can push through a soft fork, for example, that maybe restricts Bitcoin's block size or implements SegWit. Not that I'm saying that those are civil attacks, but those are the types of things that you could still get through with a civil attack. But it prevents things from increasing the block size to two megabytes or that type of thing. Because you could civil attack that all you want, but everybody's already agreed to this other reality where we don't change consensus layer rules. And I think that's a really good middle ground in general because it prevents a, a large class of very messy, very bad very controversial changes that cause splits in the network. And yeah. And for the record too, I think both SegWit and even lower block sizes on Bitcoin are both good ideas. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. You said even lower block sizes, like you would, you would say like a half megabyte block size would be better. I think it's a good idea to explore. I think that in general, you need to be concerned about making sure the blockchain scales as much as possible. And I don't mean scales in that it can onboard more users. I mean scales in that it can be verified and and managed by more users. You know, scales more laterally than anything. And yeah, so I think in general, obviously, smaller block sizes would always do that uh, because you reduce your space and computation requirements. I think it needs a lot more investigation as to whether or not there's a really strong benefit. That remains to be seen. Interesting. That's the first time I've I've even heard the uh, the thought that a smaller than one megabyte block size would be good. But if I guess if the Lightning Network was working more mm-hmm. and the smaller block size wouldn't affect the actual price that it costs to use the coin, then in theory it would also mean there would be more nodes because there or more mining because it would be less resource intensive to do it. So. 
Yeah, there'd be more people hopefully running nodes and validating Already, yeah. their own transactions for their for themselves. Yeah, I think that Lightning in general is is a great solution, and you know it's excellent that it doesn't affect the core network. But if block size were to be reduced, I'd hope that there were several other types of competing networks out there too, because you know Lightning has about three different major implementations and is fairly decentralized in how it does its routing. But over time, it seems like it may centralize around some of that routing, and then it may leave the majority of transactions up to, you know, maybe the one lightning implementation that wins out. So having that escape hatch, having other ways to move stuff off. And for most people, uh, you know, having another set of developers that you have recourse to are important things long-term. So I'd really hope to see that in the case where there's, my concern with lightning is that you may end up in a case where you, you end up not having recourse and transacting on the Bitcoin blockchain itself is too expensive. Um, those, I think, are still valid concerns, but and something where restricting the block size through a soft fork would could potentially be damaging if we're not in a situation where Lightning is sufficiently decentralized or where other competing networks with Lightning are sufficiently mature enough uh, such that no one uh, entity captures a gigantic chunk of the pie right okay yeah that's that's the number one argument against the you know the lightning network when people talk about it is the centralization behind it but if there is there anything competing there's nothing competing right now i don't know if there's things being developed i don't think there's anything majorly competing against litecoin on on bitcoin um i could be wrong but nothing that i've seen and yeah lightning it's design is fairly decentralized but one of the problems is routing payments once they get and obviously there's still it's still a very alpha but it seems that routing payments may eventually go through some fairly large channels rather than this much more distributed uh type of architecture is how it seems like it'll play out i'm not an expert but that's just interesting yeah have you kind of looked into lightning versus plasma no, they're different technologies that accomplish similar things. Yeah, they just do it in different ways. Okay, that was completely off topic, but I figured we would go. We would keep going down that rabbit hole since we were there. I'll bring it back. We'll start talking about another yeah. attack. You did a perfect explain like I'm five attack on Sybil. So let's try it again with the base attack that, I don't know, crypto was trying to solve, the double spend attack. So obviously I... A very intimate knowledge of reorg attacks. And I'm actually, I'm writing a little script because I want to start recording some videos to explain some of these concepts. But uh, the way reorgs work and that I was writing earlier is that they're not really attacks on the network, uh, on a proof of work network specifically. So right. when a proof of work network encounters uh, two different chains that both match its rules, but one is bigger than the other. The rules of the proof of work network say, well, we're going to go with the one that's bigger. Uh, and we're going to forget about the one that's smaller because we will go with whichever one has the most work on it. Normally, that's the most amount of blocks, but really it's the most, most amount of work. And that never changes. So if somebody ever mines a longer chain and doesn't tell you about it, a bigger chain and doesn't tell you, once they do tell you about it, you know, you're going to go with the bigger chain and there's not going to be a double spent on the network itself. 
And the issues that happen and who reorg attacks actually affect is payment processors and exchanges, people that accept large amounts of cryptocurrency payments and then give you something else for them. Uh, so what happened with ETC was, you know, somebody went and deposited some ETC on an exchange, traded it maybe for Bitcoin, and took the Bitcoin off it, the exchange and did all that. And in the meantime, while they were doing that, they were also mining an ETC chain that w- had more work than the public ETC chain that everybody knew about. And so then after they got their Bitcoin off of that exchange, they went and broadcast their longer proof of work chain that didn't contain their deposits to those exchanges. Um, It basically just sent the money to themselves instead. So they got their ETC back and they got their Bitcoin off of the exchange. So they basically just tricked the exchange. They kind of did the 2019 equivalent of going to a grocery store, writing a bad check, taking the groceries home, and then also still having the money because it was you took it out of your accounts before the check hit and could actually do it. Could actually uh, do it okay. that way. So yeah, in a lot of ways, reorg attacks I think are fraud. Um, I think they're yeah. anybody who intentionally reorgs a chain and makes fake deposits to uh, an exchange is probably committing fraud. And hopefully, we'll see in the future that this is actually a punishable thing. <laughs> in most places but yeah that's what a reorg attack is and the key thing too is that it only ever affects people who are receiving money and there's things they can do to mitigate those issues and on top of that it can affect your coins so if somebody does a reorg attack on a chain and gets more than 51 percent hash power of the total network then they can't actually do anything with your money or money in somebody else's bank account they can only do money with whatever money's in their bank account okay so that makes that makes perfect sense and that will affect anyone who is doing some sort of exchange of goods slash services for crypto but it tends to affect the exchanges because that's the best way for somebody to do it yeah exactly so Everyone gets really, really scared about a 51% attack. Like once somebody gets control of the network, you can just do whatever they want, which isn't really the case, right? They have to still accept broadcast transactions. They can just make up their own broadcast transactions from themselves. Yeah. And then kind of replace it. And and they they have to keep winning, right? Like that can't go on forever. No, it can't go on forever. You have to spend resources to do it. You spend time and money for this attack. And one of the other things is, too, if miners wanted to, they could choose to mine a minority chain and mine it ahead. There's not currently anybody that does that, uh, but it is something that prior to leaving ETC Co-op, we were starting to look into and had some leads on. And yeah, just in general, though, it's, it's an expensive thing. It costs money to reorg a chain. So our advice to exchanges in general at ETC Co-op and my own personal advice is just to increase the number of blocks you wait in order to consider a deposit good. In the most successful of cases, we've gotten them to raise their their block confirmations from about 100 or 200 to about 5,000, which I think uh, is adequate. Um, obviously, there's there's a much more complex security model there. Uh, that needs a lot more investigation, a lot more uh, exploration than exchanges have currently done. 
but it's it's definitely one way in which to de-incentivize a reorg attack because it requires more and more capital in order to launch the reorg attack. But at the same time, it means the kind of customer service aspect of the exchange suffers. So they have to find the balance, right? Yeah, UX suffers only slightly. So a lot of exchanges do UX entirely wrong. Uh, when you deposit a cryptocurrency to an exchange, you should be credited almost instantly. You should be credited after you know just several blocks. In general, um, on Bitcoin, you should probably be credited in the first block it makes it into. And the thing there, though, is you get credited that and you can trade with it, but you just can't withdraw. Because double spends don't happen on the network. They happen on the exchange. Uh, they happen who, on whoever's received the money. So if I want to double spend on your exchange and I send you some ETC and then I go and re- try and reorg ETC, I shouldn't be able to take my money off right away. I should be able to deposit it, trade it around. But whatever ETC I've traded for that BTC the exchange shouldn't let me withdraw it yet. They should make me wait the total amount of time that I have to wait uh, in order to consider that deposit good. In my case, I'm, you know, 5,000 confirmations. And that's the way some exchanges work when it comes to, you know, fiat. You know, you deposit money and they credit you right away, but they don't let you withdraw your Bitcoin that you've traded your dollars for Bitcoin. They make you wait until the money actually hits their the dollars that you deposited actually hit their bank account. And once it hits their bank account, then you're free to withdraw your Bitcoin. Um, so I think UX is kind of just crappy on exchanges right now. The only thing that that would hurt is arbitrage. But I mean, more efficient ar- arbitrage, you're going to have other ways to do it in the future anyway. You know, Liquid Network, for example, a sidechain between exchanges should work right. pretty well there. And, you know, there should be other other ways to do that. Um, even if it's just sharing ledgers between different exchanges. But yeah, I think UX in general can be improved quite substantially. And putting all the requirements for good UX and a good user experience on the blockchain itself that is designed to be a secure immutable layer, first and foremost, is just wrong. It just does not the right place to to put that effort. So when you put it that way, it actually makes a ton of sense to me because what exchange or bank or anything you do with fiat mm-hmm. lets you take the money out five seconds after you put it on nobody so maybe like venmo but like we're talking even back in the day if i'm really looking far back to like online poker sites daily fantasy sites mm-hmm. you can't just put money on those sites and then just pull it right off right away you have to wait yeah. and the same i don't think i've ever tried to pull money right out of a of a normal exchange like put money in robin hood and then be like ah you know what it's been an hour i want to take that back out so <laughs> But I would bet that I can't do that, and that wouldn't even affect the user experience. What does is when you're sitting here like, all right, I got to get my Bitcoin on. I want to buy my Tron. Hold on. (laughs) Right. And then you have to wait an hour before it's okay to buy Tron. Yeah. That does make a lot of sense. Now, I could see an argument for saying, well, look, what all those trades shouldn't have happened then if that person got on there and then made the trades with the 51% attack. I wonder if they would just reverse those or... If it doesn't really matter because the spreads are going to be close together anyways. Yeah, I don't know. And on top of that, I don't know why anybody would be reorging a chain in order to just fake volume. I really I have no idea. Listen, don't put anything past Justin over a Tron, okay? 
Yeah. There's <laughs> there's definitely I'm willing to call it now. Somebody is gonna do this to fake volume at some point because people love the fake volume. It's oh, like their favorite thing. Enjoy. There's easier ways to fake volume. <laughs> <laughs> As we've seen, the old uh, we did a whole episode on one of those transaction mining exchanges where they encourage you to just wash trade with yourself. They're like, do this illegal thing and we'll pay you for it. Yeah. What? what? But you, you also mentioned the idea of that being fraud. And I guess, is it right now not? Like if we figured out who did a 51% attack on an exchange, would it not be considered something that we can prosecute them for? I think it's still fraud. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but... Most laws aren't designed for specific instances. They're designed for more general things. You know, there's not a law saying that misrepresenting the total stock of chickens you're delivering to somebody for goats is is illegal, but not misrepresenting the total number of pigs you're delivering instead. Like, both are right. completely illegal. I just think that this is something that hasn't been tried yet. But I would say and I would hope that... Uh, intentionally double spending to fraud people and, and take money that isn't and essentially steal money would be considered fraud or theft. Has anyone been caught from and, and or had their day in court from any of the previous attacks that you know of? No, not yet. I think Man. the Dow hacker could have been found going way back in history, but forking to remove their money and, and everything else was the simpler route. Yeah. And I've heard only rumors, so I can't substantiate them, but there's people saying that they kind of know who or what group could have done the 51% uh, reorg on, on EZC. So, hmm. Yeah. What information would was missing? Like, let's start with the DAO hack. Was it like an exchange unwilling to release some information or something to, to stop the community from finding them or they just stopped trying because they revamped the blockchain anyway? The way it worked at the start was on the ETC side, there were some of us, not me personally, but there were people who had reached out to like their local FBI divisions, their local police, and nobody could would listen to us. And we didn't have any money or any resources to really use lawyers or anything to go after this. So uh, we were kind of stuck there. But what we didn't know at the time was that the attacker had previously mined on Dwarf Pool, that they had previously taken money off of an exchange and sent it to themselves. And we think that was Bittrex that maybe had their identity. There were quite a few things just on the blockchain itself where you could you know, partly figure out who this might be, at least establish where they're located in the world, and maybe get a first and last name because they clearly had money uh from exchanges that they had to use they actually needed some ethereum at the time in order to launch this attack and yeah there would have been ways to help find the dow attacker bring them to court and compel them to return their stolen goods the way you do in every other situation in the real world okay so did bitrex say no or at the time or did they say they didn't have it or I don't know. If, I don't know if you remember, but it's just an interesting thought. Like, yeah, that so I can kind of get behind an exchange protecting somebody, but at the same time, I want to, you know, you want them to go down. So first, I want to be clear. I think it was Bittrex. I'm not 100 percent on that. It's been okay. a long time since. And then on top of that, I don't remember. I think exchanges probably were asked. Again, this is three years ago, and my memory's fuzzy. But I would say that. Any exchange that would have been asked for users' information would say, come back with a subpoena 
or come back with whatever you know regular legal method you have to actually compel us to give you this information. Um, because nobody's just going to hand out their users' information willy-nilly. And that's a good policy anyway. But right. Yeah. I think that yeah. there would have been information to uh, find the DAO hacker and uh, bring them at least to court. It's a weird dichotomy because you look at like what Apple did with the San Bernardino shooter and I'm behind them protecting privacy because you don't want to give more power to the people who can just say, hey, you know, I want to know about this guy who's been texting my, my girlfriend because he's a criminal or whatever the case. And when you go to something like an exchange, which is going to be similar to Apple, where you give them a ton of information, uh, you would kind of hope that they would protect that information unless that maybe not even unless maybe just they would just always protect that information. I don't know. But on the user side, I want the exchange to help me find the people who are doing the wrong thing. I want I, I wanted Apple to help find the San Bernardino shooter. Yeah, I wanted the I want the exchanges to help figure out what happened with Quadriga CX faking his death guy and all that stuff. It's it's a weird place to be in between, and I have no idea how to quantify when I'm cool with them releasing the information and when I'm not. The DAO hack seems like it would have been one of those times where it's like, yeah, go ahead and give that out. Yeah, it is really weird. I just think it would have been nice if there was you know some good resources behind it. Obviously, I can't tell people how to spend their money and how to fork the chain. I just think that we missed a really good opportunity there. So you're thinking like if Ethereum didn't end up forking into uh, Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, that the resources of the community as a whole could have been used to find and and deal with the hacker, and instead they went the easy route. Yeah. Which, yeah, that makes sense. So, I I mean, we all wish they would have been gotten. I think, I think I'm trying to, in my head, figure out when is it okay to give the information away. You can't be judged during executioner, but on blockchain, you kind of can. Like, there's no question that <laughs> no, the person... like what we're trying to avoid. There's well, no subjectivity behind the fact that this person attacked the DAO. There's no... There's no question that these wallets were involved. So if these addresses were 100% involved, you don't have to go through a court. You don't have to give those people the benefit of the doubt. You don't have to give them innocent until proven guilty. You've proven them guilty. They're right there. Well, so I guess that's why I would prove what is and what is not uh, a crime with a smart contract. Right. You know, um, whether misusing a smart contract or using it in an an unintended way, is that a crime? Uh, I would actually lean towards the fact, towards the idea that it is, but, you know, that's, again, something that's not been tested. I think that you still, you lose something else. So, like, with the San Bernardino shooter, yes, you would have a better chance of catching them and and dealing with them if Apple just gave up the information, but then you want to open up this whole other can of worms where... Like you said, anybody's information is given up. Uh, so, right, you just make up like, a good enough reason. Yeah, you're like, oh, this guy is totally like people. Somebody got shot last week, and this is him. So we need to look it up. Yeah, exactly. And then it turns out you're right back into Snowden territory, where you're four people removed from an actual threat, and you're just monitoring people for funsies. Yeah. And and that's hopefully what we're moving away from although sometimes it doesn't feel that way all right so next on this list of attacks i have something called eclipse attack but i feel like that's pretty close to a sybil attack is that basically the same thing 
Yeah, it's basically the same thing. That I don't know as well as some of these other attacks, but essentially what an Eclipse attack is, is you manage to convince, like, maybe say the nodes that an exchange operates, you surround them, uh, and you make sure they can't talk to any of the rest of the world. And once you've done this, you can then sort of reorg attack the, those particular nodes uh, with much less hash power. You don't need a whole... Uh, 51% of the total network, you can use a lot less in order to uh, get it. Oh, okay. Okay. So is that possible on any network that is any of the big networks? I don't know. Yeah, it's been possible on a lot of them. You know, these types of vulnerabilities get discovered and then patched. So Ethereum and ETC have had to patch for it. I'm sure Bitcoin has had to patch for it at some point. Uh, you know, just it's just improving your networking code to make sure that these types of things don't happen or can't be pulled off. Okay, yeah. so we'll, we'll we'll go on from that one since basically the same kind of thing. We'll just we'll just move on to something more fun. Next is denial of service attack. Now I know about that as far as how it works on a website, but I don't know how that works on a blockchain. Same thing with the eclipse attacks. You can only denial of service. Uh, you can't deny a service the entire blockchain. I mean, maybe you could if it only had a small amount of nodes. But in general, yeah, it's just you find nodes that you want to take down and you just send, and you send the attack at them. I don't know how often that's done. Um, I would imagine that probably might affect miners or something. I, don't, I just don't know. Because uh, miners, you know, need some nodes to broadcast blocks. And if you can deny a service a large miner, then you and take their nodes offline, then they can't broadcast blocks. And then that's very bad for them and very good for you if you're a competing miner or something. But I can't think of, uh, I don't know of any examples of that. I mean, I've heard, I think I've heard of it happen before, but I can't think of any, any specifics off the top of my head. Okay. So that was the denial of service attack. We, we've been running through these last ones pretty <laughs> quick, which is, which is good. We're coming up on close to the end of the hour. So in fact, I'm on the last one on my list, which I'm sure I'm going to miss something important, but this is, like I said, I did, I did a ton of research. It was like one article or something <laughs> and I'll put it in the show notes if I could even remember which one it was. Uh, and I put it on a notion. So that was it. The network split attack. Now that's kind of, I think what we've, that, that sounds like a fork, but that is not, it sounds like maybe it's a contentious fork or something like that. So what would a network split attack kind of even refer to? Um, in cryptocurrencies, in proof of work cryptocurrencies, at least uh, net splits happen. That's kind of where you get the the bigger, uh, longer chain and the shorter chain, and they kind of split. But there are cases where you may have a net split where both chains actually survive. And I've used that term before, um, not like it's an official term, but I've used that term to describe situations where you get a longer chain and a shorter chain and both keep going. And that will happen if uh, there's like wonky consensus rules between different sets of nodes. And that's actually something on Bitcoin Cash, BCH, not not SV, where... Now, hold on a second. We know what you mean when you say Bitcoin Cash, okay? We, we know that it's not SV. Very much how we know when you say Bitcoin, you're not talking about Bitcoin Cash. So the... Yeah. the so Bitcoin just, Cash is BCH. Just to be clear, we'll call it Bcash. On Bcash, <laughs> when you and this hasn't happened to Bcash, and I don't know what the hell uh, they're thinking over on on the ABC side of Bcash. So Bcash has two different major node creators, 
about 60% of the network is on a software called Bitcoin Unlimited. And the other 40% is on one called uh, BCHABC. And these two clients actually don't treat uh, reorgs the same way. On the ABC side, if it sees a reorg that's 10 or 11 blocks longer than the network that it's currently aware of, it just ignores it because it has active checkpoints in it. And then on the Bcash Unlimited side, it just continues with proper proof of work consensus rules and follows the longest chain. And that could create a net split where if somebody does broadcast a chain that's, say, 12 blocks long, Bcash ABC is going to ignore the longer chain uh, and, and Bitcoin Unlimited is going to follow it. And that's a major, major issue uh, in general for the network. And I don't actually understand why one node went with it and the other node didn't. I really would like to know which exchanges are running which version of that software because that probably determines uh, how bad or not so bad uh, that type of net split is. I hate it when people can get in contact with you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought, was there a third one and that's what became Bitcoin SV? Uh, yeah, those are all hard forks, though. Those are just intentionally breaking consensus rules so that you can have your own chain. So that's, I wouldn't call that a net split. To me, a net split is kind of like unintentional from bad programming, going back to the IRSC days where you have a bunch of servers that all talk to each other, and then all of a sudden there's a network disruption and half the servers go this way and half the servers go that way. And suddenly your chat channel that you know, was maybe 10 people is now six and there's four people else in this other channel. Those events. I remember that. (laughs) Yeah. I remember something like that happening when I was, I had no idea like what could have caused that, but we used to chat on IRC all the time when I was like 10. Yeah. So we would go on, maybe not 10. I might've been a little bit older, but we would go on there and talk about magic, the gathering. And that was our like little, (laughs) our little uh, group on there. It's where, it's where I met Adam and, and I already knew Mike and, uh, and then I met Kareem later. So that, but yeah, the oh, nice. IRC, I remember like there would be times when half of our team would be gone and then they would come back later. So that's interesting that it was probably there. Is that why there was a little M in front of some of the IRC clients and not others? Um, not there was sure. like M IRC and then there was IRC. I, well, I don't know. Was a was... Those were just different types of clients. I'm talking about the servers themselves would actually. Oh, okay. Uh, and that's kind of what would happen to Bcash if uh, somebody broadcast a, a chain that's suddenly broadcast 12 blocks of new chain to the network that that type of thing would happen. And that's what I would consider like a net split because it's kind of, it's not an intentional hard fork. It's uh, different, different servers running by different rules that create this thing where all of a sudden they don't talk to each other anymore. So how is it solved? Don't do that. It's stupid. (laughs) Either get your major implementation, both uh, ABC and unlimited to both do the same thing or don't do it. That's one of the things that like boggles my mind is like everybody has like good ideas. And if the world just ran the way we wanted it to, uh, that would be great because we would fix everything. Um, and one, that's not true. Uh, we have a lot of stupid ideas in general that we think are good ideas. And two, like it, you need something to design against that because Otherwise, you end up with these situations where people stubbornly implement something that they really shouldn't be doing. I can't think of any other cryptocurrency out there that one of the major node softwares 
decided to make something that could be a breaking change or substantially damage the network, and the other one didn't. It's a very, very rare thing. Um, yeah. I'd be interested to, to randomly talk to somebody who can give both sides that argument as to why they would leave that differently. Uh, Where, because to me, outside looking in, that that does, like you're saying, sounds stupid. <laughs> and And why aren't you just having two coins there? And it brings me back to another thought, which is that when I'm really looking at the Bitcoin SV slash ABC, did SV do the same thing? No. SV, to their credit, never implemented checkpoints, never... SV went nuts with block sizes, but other than that, has followed proper proof-of-work consensus rules. I think it's actually funny that people hate SV more than Bcash sometimes because of the personalities behind it more yeah. than any any technical uh, things. I've, I've said it before uh, before on the show, and, and uh, Brant came on the show, and he talked about the difference between the two. It sounds like SV was kind of the better coin. I don't know. like It, it was run better. SV but, is the better Bcash, yes. Without a, yeah, but, but, <laughs> then, but it was run by Greg Wright. So, you know, you, you, you can't have somebody like that spearheading a project. People no. just won't get behind it. To Bcash's credit, uh, even though the network isn't Nakamoto consensus anymore. At least its leadership is sane. Uh, not right. crazy people running it. Bcash SV as disgusting people running it. Yeah, so yeah. the insane people went with and created the better thing, which I think there's like this saying that if you put a bunch of coders in a room and told them to figure out a, how to run a country, they would create the Soviet Union. So that I, that's probably a thing. Maybe like the craziest people came up with the better code or whatever or whatever the case is it's not good so, and then you oh well yeah i guess the part of the code is the code that's been written by the bitcoin core team okay <laughs> it's just better at following the rules of what proof of work is and then the ones who are a little calmer and a little less crazy not that i want to give roger ver a ton of credit or anything like that but they stayed with their own little chain here that's got a couple of little differences between between the people that uh, yeah that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me yeah that why would you just want (laughs) why would why would you want like two computers that one's mac and one's pc and they most of the time talk to each other but they can't run this same game together and you went to a land party and half the people can't play uh power and control would be my guess my guess is that uh whoever's running abc and whoever's running unlimited probably don't see eye to eye on everything. And, um, you know, if that type of reorg would happen, then they would be able to fight each other to see who has the real Bcash and who has the Bcash fork, which one is which now. I'd probably think that ABC would actually win out, which is weird because ABC is actually breaking the proof of work rules. Uh, so, yeah. Interesting. Well, maybe maybe we haven't seen the last Bitcoin Cash fork. Maybe we are coming up on an. Maybe we're going to come up on another one someday. Yeah. Oh, and SV is not going anywhere. It's not dying. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's really not. It's definitely fallen. I love watching the exchanges just delist it as a response to Craig randomly suing people. I hope he actually does get to court with somebody because then it would be interesting to to watch him have to finally admit that he's not Satoshi to himself or to the rest of the world. So yeah, you can't just tell a judge. Yeah. I'm not going to do that to prove it. You just have to take my word for it. <laughs> like you can tell the people who are following you in the, in the space, you know, judges generally aren't going to be cultists. So yeah, hopefully there's uh, enough expert witnesses to properly explain 
uh, what constitutes proof. And even then, he, even in the craziest scenario where CSW actually somehow has access to some very, very early Bitcoin keys that were likely owned by Satoshi, that still doesn't prove his identity. It just proves he has possession of those keys. Right. And like Vitalik said, it would change my opinion of Satoshi more than it would change my opinion of Craig Wright. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> right whether he's Satoshi or not, he's already the biggest douche in the universe. <laughs> so, so did I miss any kind of big attacks? Because that was the end of my random list. And like I said, I'd do a whole lot of looking behind that. Uh, no, I think you I think you hit everything. Cool. Yeah. So we we got to we got to go over attacks. We stayed right at about the hour mark. We got to talk some smack about some people. <laughs> we got to talk some smack about some coins. And what do you think the odds are that we'll kind of get rid of all these attacks as a possibility in like say five years? Mm, no, they're going to become more complex and more interesting. Um, so we'll find new attacks. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully, wait a minute. I think we might have found the hacker. No, it makes it more <laughs> resilient. The more the more you attack something, the stronger it becomes. Oh, okay. So you're saying more number of attacks, not more types. Well, no, there'll probably be more types of attacks. Software is a very finicky, tricky thing, and getting it 100 percent right is nearly impossible. So there'll probably be other types of attacks. And when we have say three or four more attacks guess who we're going to come to to explain to us exactly what they do because we're not going to know <laughs> more than happy to definitely use other sources though too because i'm not always right 100 percent of the time either no always do your own research we're not financial advisors we're not uh we're just some people talking about crypto and all investments have inherent risk and all that stuff i was going to say at the end of the episode but that works too yeah so where can we, other than Twitter, where you hate people now, where can we follow you? <laughs> uh, just follow me on Twitter. That's basically it. I've got a hobbyist website called crappyphotography.com that I need to update, upload some some of my pictures there, and then put a name stories behind them. So that's, 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 that's <laughs> Wait, entertaining. So crappy photography, you put pictures up and then talk shit about your own pictures? Is that what? Somewhat. So I like photography and I've gotten into it. Uh, more seriously over the past like year or so i actually have had my own like legitimate camera and over the past six months and so i've learned i've dived into it i've learned quite a good deal about it and i've reached a point where like i understand everything that's wrong with my pictures and everything that i could have done better but i don't have the skills yet for that so that's where crappy photography came from and then behind them i like to just write a crazy stupid story uh that's generally not true but you know just fun <laughs> generally not true so the time yeah. i was talking about when i killed the pigeon not true at all no, but wasn't. unrelated note pigeon soup is very good yeah <laughs> all right so check out crappyphotography.com or uh you're you're still anthony etc on twitter i'm pyskill p-y-s-k-l-l it was your email or something. Else. I mean, nothing, not that that's an email address oh. or anything. <laughs> yeah, my public email address. Nobody needs to know that one unless I give it to them, but it's not It's not a secret. <laughs> okay, yeah, so about that. Anyway, yes, that's right. I remember the, the Twitter name now. So that was P-Y-S-K-E-L-L is the is Twitter name. So you can, go, you can go there and vote in Anthony's polls. Again, if you vote wrong, he's going to tell you he wants to block you. Or whatever the case is, you put up like one that was 
the three of the choices were Bitcoin and one of them was Bitcoin SV or something. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, one was XRP. And I asked anybody oh, XRP, that's XRP right. to please block me. Because <laughs> I can't see the results of the poll. But I want yeah. anybody who voted for that to block me. I, I voted for XRP. I'm not going to lie. I, I came on there and I was like, wait, XRP is the truth. And then I clicked it. And then and that was it. So, <laughs> yeah. Or maybe not. I don't know. You can't really tell. You can't prove it anyway. So. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for giving us the time. And hopefully you get to come back and tell us all kinds of cool stuff. Yes. Otherwise, if you want to check out Anthony in the Discord, he's always in there (laughs) commenting on stuff. So pop into our Discord. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks, friends.